Hey everybody, welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. I am super excited for you to hear this week's guest. His name is Neil Taylor, and he has been a hugely successful session guitarist ever since the early 80s. When his friends called him up one day and asked him if he could come over to the recording studio and play a guitar solo over a song they were working on. Well, that song was Everybody Wants to Rule the World. The band, of course, was Tears for Fears. And of course, everything changed. The band, the song, the album, all of it became huge. Neil earned his bona fides that day and has been going strong ever since. This is one of those conversations that I really love to have where we, I get to ask him about some of his collaborations that mean the most to me. We talk about Morrissey, we talk about Howard Jones, we talk about Jane Weedlin, we talk about a couple people who have been on the show before, Redbox, Martin Page, he tells a really funny Peter Gabriel story in here. We talk about Holly Johnson from Frankie Goes to Hollywood. I love it. This guy has played on tons of music that means a lot to me. For a while there, in the 2000s, he was Robbie Williams' guitarist as well. Robbie, although never that huge in America, was gigantic throughout the rest of the world. So Neil was living the life for a long time. Well, for the last few years, he's been primarily a solo artist and put out some really awesome solo material. Now, normally when we start these episodes, we always do it with the song that is most identifiable or most popular from the guest. Well, we talk about all those songs in here, so I, did, I went a different direction this time. You're listening to Neil's latest single. It just came out a few weeks ago. It's called Your Very Own Rockstar. As you can tell, it is killer. So I would highly, highly recommend you go check out this song, check out the rest of his solo material, and enjoy this conversation with Neil Taylor. I loved it a lot. He called me from his home in Shakespeare country, Stratford-on-Avon. There are loads of credits that I want to ask you about, but I want to get sure, to know yeah. you a little bit first, because uh, I think it's really interesting how someone becomes a uh, in-demand session musician, as opposed to maybe when they were younger, did you envision being a rock star of your own ilk? Did you think you would be like a solo artist or a band member? What did you envision yeah, for I your mean, uh, career? I, well, my, my first thing, I, I played with um, uh, bands in uh, Bristol in the UK. When I was like 17, 16, 17, my dad took me to an audition, which I didn't want to go to. But uh -huh. when I played at this audition, I got the I got the gig with the band straight away. And then it was like I found all this confidence, you know. And then I started playing with lots of different acts, lots of different bands. And I fronted a, a couple of bands in Bristol. One thing led to another. I, I ended up playing on this compilation album called uh, Avon Calling with my band Sneak Preview back in 1979. And it was through Cherry Red Records. And two guys from 
Bath, who um, Pete Byrne and Rob Fisher from Naked Eyes, they had a band at that time called Neon. Yeah. And I think they came to see, see me play after they, they'd heard the solo that I did on this song on the Avon Gordon album. Okay. And then they approached me and asked if I would play on their single, which was a song called um, Communication Without Sound. And so I ended up going over, playing guitar, and the bass player at the time was a guy called Kurt Smith. And I ended up doing some shows with them, and we played in a very famous club in Bath called Moles, and I remember Kurt's friend Roland Orzabal standing at the front watching me playing guitar, which is quite funny. And then I ended up leaving them to go back with my own band. One, one thing so you left to one... Neon to go back to Sneak Preview? That's right, yeah. Because okay. okay. we had a gig in Switzerland, and I thought, wow, we've made it if we had oh, a gig yeah. in Switzerland. Yeah, no kidding, right? Can't pass <laughs> that up. Right. And no, it must have been about nine months later, I, I, I was working for my dad as just a, a builder, and uh-huh. I, I, remember, I remember going home late one night covered in mud and cement and everything, and yeah. the, the top of the pops was on, and I remember looking at the TV, and I thought, I know those guys. And it was Kurt and Roland. They'd formed Tears for Fears. And they had their first hit with Mad World. Oh, man. And I, I thought, what would have happened if I would have stayed with those guys, you know? Funny enough, about two months later, I bumped into Kurt at a party. And he said, well, we've been trying to find you. We're doing yeah. a tour of the UK. And we want you to come and play guitar. So I ended up Whoa. playing guitar for them on their tour. Whoa. Then they were recording songs from the big chair. Yeah. And I, I had a call from uh, Ian Stanley, the keyboard player, one evening when they were doing songs in the yeah. big chair. I said, could you come up and do a guitar solo for us? I said, sure, when do you want me? He said, well, if you can come up now. So I went up, and they had, all they had was, for everybody who wants to rule the world, was the down, down, and, and uh-huh. the blue. That's all they had. They That's had it. no, yeah, but, but they all said, we know we want you to play a guitar solo on the end of this song. I ended up playing the guitar solo. It, it was two takes. I was there for 15 minutes, and I remember I got paid £200, and I thought, oh. God, I could really carry on doing this. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it goes on to be one of the most recognizable yeah, guitar solos yeah, I mean, of any song I mean, of the 80s. Yeah, I mean, after doing the Neon, which they, Rob Fisher and um, Pete Byrne turned into Naked Eyes, and they did of always course. something there to remind me and stuff. After playing on that session, my next session really was Everybody Wants to Rule the World, about a year, year and a half later, you know. Whoa. And, yeah. um, yeah. and then I started getting calls because Chris used their producer to speak yeah. to other producers and engineers about me, and you've got to check him out and all this kind of stuff. I ended up moving off the path that I was on. And then I ended up, you know, going down the session route. Right. 
So let me ask you this. Is there any recorded music of Neon or Sneak Preview that's out there somewhere? Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah. Well, I mean, Naked, naked um, Neon. I, I'm not sure about Neon. They had a song, I, I think you can find it on um, YouTube. It's called Communication Without Sound. And I'm sure I'd seen okay. this song on, okay. on uh, YouTube Communication Without Good. Sound. Turn off your radio. Can't paint your pictures in my mind. Don't talk the night away. You know I ain't the talking kind I don't want long discussions right into the night I don't want words We ain't got time to play around I don't want words Communication without sound Communication without sound I love Naked Eyes too, and I'm kind of obsessed with Tears for Fears. They've been right, okay, a top yeah, because, three to five they're... favorite band of mine my whole life. Now, Neon was that after Graduate? Because Roland and Kurt were in a band called Graduate for a little That's while. That's right. Well, they they I think at the time when I was in Neon with Kurt. They just split up him and Roland from Graduate, mm. and they were writing songs to take to record labels. That's okay. where they were at at the time. And I think, if my memory serves me correct, I think Kurt told me that they had two songs, Pearl Shelter uh-huh. and Mad World, and they okay. took it to Polygram, I think, and then they yeah. got signed. Before getting on with you, I was watching the um, In My Mind's Eye concert on YouTube yep. that they oh, did. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> that's, you, that's you behind Roland, kind of on a riser with like a oh, white yeah, in, top, right? In, yeah, that's what I, that's so embarrassing in my little string vest and a, a very, a, about a one-inch <laughs> ponytail. I remember that. <laughs> well, that was the style back then. They all, I know, we I know, all looked goofy I know. back then. Yeah, I know. But yeah. Yeah, so, okay. so yeah, that, that was amazing. That was my first professional tour, you know. Okay. So I don't want to skim over, you know, oh, sure. your personal accomplishments, but it sounds like pretty quickly you go directly into session musician, and then your your story, the Neil Taylor story, becomes about who you work with and what you do for them, as opposed to, you know, you're not until recently you're not putting out your own albums or writing yeah. your own songs yeah, or know. anything like that, really. Well, no, no. I mean, it, it was only in the past five years I decided to do my own thing again. Yeah, and, and what led and, to that? I mean, what sparked you to do that? Well, I mean, I, I, I've been with... I, I, Robbie Williams isn't very big, I know, in the uh, America, but I, uh-huh. I, 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 he had a big hit over there with Angels, I think. Um, sure. But, but uh, I was with Robbie for ten years, and Robbie okay. is very, very big all over yeah, Europe. We, is, yeah. and And we were playing stadiums and... Every night, uh, private jets, five-star hotels and stuff. And I was like, wow, this is the life. (laughs) I love this, you know. Why do I need to do anything apart from work with Robbie, you know? But uh, there was a lot of downtime in between tours with Rob at at the time. And I decided that I started to write an album. I was going to do an instrumental, but after the first track of writing an instrumental, I thought, I can't do 12 tracks of this. This is so boring. Yeah. (laughs) So... um, 
uh, my my songwriting partner uh, Steve Torch said, "Well, why why don't you let's write some songs? You you sing." I said, oh, "I haven't sang for years." So I ended up kind of had to, trying to find myself again because I hadn't done it for 20 years or so. Right, you know? right, and right. I hadn't sang for 20 years, and um, so it was a, an all an all new thing again for me. And uh, you know, looking back on my first album, No Self Control, five years ago, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, it's it's me trying to discover myself. And it, I, I don't really like listening to a lot of that album anymore, to be honest with you. But oh, you know, there are some good tracks on there. Yeah. Now, I've been listening to a lot of your solo stuff lately because I knew we were going to talk. Yeah. That particular album, I've been listening to on Spotify. I don't think that particular album is on Spotify, but I, I've noticed that a lot of your albums have some of, like, different versions of the same songs on them. So oh, there's, like, yes, no, yes. God, no God But Rock and Roll. If there's a God, then bless my soul. Chasing Butterflies, Silver Wings. So I've been That's listening to right, those yeah. a lot. Well, I mean, yeah. what, what basically happened there was that I, I released No Self Control with a, a, la- a label in Germany called Hypertension. And okay. I would play shows acoustically because, that, you know, they told me, look, you, there's not enough money for you to bring a band, so you have to do them uh, acoustically. That was another thing I had to get over, just do them on my own. But uh-huh. after the shows, people would come up, uh, you know, selling CDs, and they'd look at No Self-Control and said, is this what you did tonight? I said, well, the songs are, but <laughs> yeah. this is with more electric. Oh, and then they put the CD down. And I thought, yeah. I'm just going to do an album to sell at gigs. But then once Hypertension heard the album, they said, oh, we want to put this out. You know, so that's why there's, you know, songs that are the same on different albums. And then then my third album, of course, No God Like Rock and Roll, I did an electric version of the acoustic version which which sounded better you know right (laughs) well i've got i've got to put this on on the album yeah called it called the album no god like rock and roll okay and then silver wing you kind of go i mean the first half appears to be you know seven or eight songs that are new and then the other half is more live acoustic all of it's pretty much acoustic right yes yeah Um, well that's the thing the thing with that one that was an album that i uh, actually made myself, I, I produced, mastered oh, it, and, and, and did, did everything, and that was basically for the fans. So, I mean, it wasn't in shops or anything like that. It was okay. just for, for the fans, really. Got it. Okay. It's so good. I was, uh, you know, it's interesting. I was listening to Silver Wing the other day while yeah. I was working, so it was just coming through on my computer speakers, and I thought, well, this is nice. This is a really good acoustic album. And then but the other day afterwards I listened to it again with my headphones Yeah. and you're an amazing guitarist I mean I know you know this this is your stock and trade but I was like there's always tomorrow there's always tomorrow 
or anything so I can't speak to you know technical ability or whatever I just know I like what I hear and I listen to a song like that and everything that you've got going on in that song and it's just you and acoustic guitar is mind-blowing I'm oh. really digging your solo stuff it's oh, really well, thank good you. thank, thank yes. you I mean you you'll be surprised to to learn that I mean I've never been a confident session guitar player because I I'm general I'm really self-taught and so there's really? a lot that I don't know. And if someone put like some music in front of me or a chord chart, I can't read music. Uh-huh. And if oh. someone put a chord, a chord chart in front of me, it's like having to fill a form. It's like, oh, my God, I can't do it. And I, what, what, the only kind of sessions that I really, really enjoy is when the producer says, right, listen to the track, plug in, play what you want, and we'll talk uh-huh. about it after. You know, and, and I've always class myself as just a creative session rock pop guitar player that's what, what I am I'm not a, a you know a true session musician in inverted commas I'm not you know right okay so fascinating the solo stuff especially the Silver Wing album because it showcases just you and the guitar so much yeah I keep thinking it's this is a really nice combination of technical ability but you're not overwhelming anyone with like showing off or the science no. of guitar everything's very melodic so there are there are tight you know pop catchy songs in there that are Ooh. played with this real technical ability i just i think it's really a special yeah, I think, so i just want I, you to I, know I, I think what, what it was because I was an artist first of all, and oh, interesting. Uh, you know, um, you know, like a, a, an artist, like a singer, songwriter. I think that comes through in my guitar playing, and the the, the solo on the end of "Everybody Wants to Rule the World" is uh-huh. a very, very melodic guitar solo, it is. and uh, that's what I always try and achieve. I always yeah. use that as a barometer. Everybody wants to rule the world. I mean, that's how I play. Uh, you know, it, it sometimes you know you put a little fast lick in, but I, I always like uh, not to do too much like that. Was that your first like recorded credit, or had you been uh, you know releasing your own music or with another band or something else? I mean, yeah, I'm looking well, at I, like for instance allmusic.com, and the first credit you have uh, that it, it yeah. looks like anyway is songs from the big chair. Was that your first big thing? Yes. Yeah, it okay. was. Yeah. Okay. And then and, and the everything pro- is built from there. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Completely. So let me. I got to ask you about a number of the people you've yeah. worked with. In fact, some of them have even been guests on this show. But I want to talk to. Uh, let's finish Tears for Fear. So, you go on tour for songs from the Big Chair. No. I. No. Uh, oh, you no, don't. I, I, no. No. I mean, well, I mean. <laughs> 
the funny story to that was that just when I finished, when I played the solo, and I played a solo on that uh, album called um, On the Song Broken. a band called Violent Blue with a guy called Charlie Jones who was in uh, Paige Plant's band. Oh, um, interesting. We we basically got a record deal with a, uh, a smaller label in the UK called Magnet Records. Uh-huh. And then um, we went into the studio with a guy called Tim Palmer, who's a very mm-hmm. big producer still now. And yep. he, he did our first album. But in the meantime, Tears for Fears wanted me to go on the 1985 tour, Songs in the Big Chair tour. But I was caught between two things. I, I really wanted to go, but I'd already signed the contract with the label. The label weren't very happy with me going, but I thought it would have been a, a good opportunity, exposure for me and the band, you know, at the time. But they weren't happy, and they, they said that they were going to, you know, sue me and tears Ooh. for fears and all this. I thought, oh, God, you know. Yeah. So, but I kept Kurt and Roland... Andy and Stanley kept asking me, Neil, you've got to come on tour with us. We really want you to come on tour. No, I can't. I've got my own band. You can't do it. I can't do it. And it got to the point where they spoke to their manager about Paul King, their manager, coming down with a briefcase with, I think Kurt said there was going to be about £40,000 in there. And basically, they, they wanted me to do it that much. They, they said, oh. we're, going to, we're going to get sit Neil down and open up. The, right, now refuse that. And they, yeah. and they said, don't worry about the legal stuff. We'll, we'll, we'll get you out of your label and all that kind of stuff. And I was very tempted, but I was loyal to the rest of the band. But they didn't actually do that in the end because they didn't think it was fair. Okay. But I ended up not doing the tour. Halfway through the tour, they weren't happy with the guitar player that they had. Then they asked me again, will you please do it? And it's oh, like, really? Oh. Yeah, yeah, twice they asked me, and I turned them down twice. And then, you know, but I ended up playing on Sowing the Seeds of Love. I did the, the, not very much on that album. I, I, I did the guitar arpeggio on Woman in Chains. And you did. Now, Woman in Chains is one of my very favorite songs of all time. Oh, it's fantastic. Um, Tears for Fears is, my brother and I, have gotten really close as we've gotten older, and Tears for Fears is one of the bands that we bond over in that particular yeah. song. We just saw them in concert last summer, finally, and they played that song at the end. And So are you the main, like, you know, it's not the most, it doesn't rock that song, but there are some really heavy yeah, guitar no, Ro- flourishes. Roland, is that yeah. you? No, Roland did all, all the, the heavy kind of rock kind of stuff. Okay. Um, I, I, I did a kind of like shimmering guitar part.
it's a kind of a very melodic part, which, okay. uh, you know, is uh, part of the song, really, you know. Um, yeah, definitely, and, definitely. And, you know, so, yeah, so I, I didn't do all, all, all the rock stuff. Roland did all that. And then, uh, and you also played on Year of the Night, another great song, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah. I'm going according to the credits in the CD that I have in my, yeah. you know, in my collection. Okay. That's right, yeah, I did play on Year of the Night, but I, I, I don't know what the hell I played on that. <laughs> All right, great. Okay, the next credit it looks like is Redbox. Now oh, I've had good. Simon Tolson Clark on here. Oh, have you? Yeah. And, oh yeah, I Redbox are one of the great unsung, deserves to be bigger bands. I think uh, the Circle in the Square is one of the most mind-blowingly creative debut albums I've ever heard. So, yeah. what are you doing on Circle in the Square? Well, I'm, I, I'm doing, you know, um, a lot, lot of kind of, uh, kind of sprangy guitar parts and a lot, lot of different textures. The, the reason I got that was because Chris Hughes, the Tears for Fears producer, produced Redbox. That's how I came about doing. That's how you came in Red, there. Redbox. Okay, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Now, so, do you, yeah. did you pl- do you remember specific songs you played on, or are you on the whole? America. TDA. Audiovisual OPA. America, Lean On Me. Yes, um, those are the big and, ones. Yeah, yeah, and I think there was another single I played on. I think I played on both albums. I think they did two okay. albums. They so, did. Yeah. Motive was the second one. Yeah, that's a great yeah. album, too. Oh, interesting. What do you think, I mean, when you when you collaborate with these people, do you go in and just sort of do your flourish and leave, or do you feel any kind of emotional investment or spiritual investment in how the album performs, how the music turns out, how the band, what I kind always, of I mean, they get. Yeah, I mean, when I, when I, you know, back in those days, well, even now if I do, I mean, sessions have really dried up a lot, but yeah. I mean, back back in the day, I mean, I, I you know, it, I used to love doing it and being creative and stuff and felt great when I left, but then you, you kind of don't feel part of it anymore. I wanted to be part of a band. I've always missed that feeling. You know, being a, a, a session player, you're kind of an unsung hero a lot of the time, yeah, you know. You are. And, um, uh, you, you don't. Sometimes I also I should have got more credit for that, but I mean, you know, it's their thing, and yeah. you just you you get hired and paid for what you do, and they they do what they like with it after, you know. But I okay. always felt a little bit sometimes like oh, I wish I was a part of that, you know. <laughs> now that's uh, that's interesting you say that because one of the things that one of the topics we try to cover in the podcast sensitively is the money side of things. 
yeah. and how musicians maintain careers and during the ups and downs and yep. credits and royalties and those kinds of things. Yep. And Phil Spalding said something very similar in our conversation, which is that he doesn't, and this is different for you because you've been putting out your own solo albums, but prior to that, Phil doesn't have any necessarily any writing co-writing credits on yep. a lot of these huge songs that he played and, and like, you know, Wishing Well by Terrence Trent Darby. He contributed a lot to yep. a song like that. Yeah, and he's always kind of regretted not, you know, fighting maybe a little harder for some writing credits or arrangement credits or production or whatever. Are you in kind of the same boat? Yeah, I mean, but, you know, back back in the 80s, money was no object. I mean, you know, right. I mean, we, as a session musician, because I played with Tears of Fear, so I, I could com almost command my own price. Okay. You know, if someone yeah. would call, oh, can you do a session? How many songs? Well, we got yeah. three. I'll, I'll do it for seven fifty a track. Okay. But now, okay. I mean, you you know, you you wouldn't yeah. get anything like that at all, you know. Right, right. And and so so, but so it, it wasn't so much you weren't too worried about the writing because you were getting paid well, you know. And even yeah. then, I had quite a lot of working, so it was like, oh, well, whatever, you know. Yeah. But some, yeah. sometimes there there have been a few occasions where I mean, I've I've kind of written something and they've used it, and you you just don't you know they don't yeah. credit you or. You know, or or, yeah. or you get or you get paid or anything in song in in terms of songwriting. You know, that's happened a right. couple of times, and I think, well, have I got the energy to kind of fight this? Right, right. You know, that's exactly you know what, what I mean? Said, yeah. Now he he was saying that he he could do nothing and make a comfortable living just on like the radio spins, making money off the spins of the songs he's played on. Were yeah. you in kind of a similar? I mean, if you did nothing else the rest of your life. Could you live off just, you know, the, what you've done already and what kind of royalties flow in from those things? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, j just about at the moment. Okay. You know, okay. J j Depending just on lifestyle and, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I could j just about, but, but I, I mean, I'm kind of lucky to have, I, I, I've got, you know, I get, I've written some songs and yeah. they're out kind of all over the world and I've done library music, so I get some royalties from that as well. Good. So that that kind of helps as well. Good. Okay. So I'm I'm kind of in a not a bad place, but it, good. It, it's it's good for for me yeah. because I can continue with my own career and right. you know still the the occasional session and stuff, but yep. it gives but me the chance to to do pursue what I want to do, and doing my solo thing gives me a, a sense of purpose. You sure, know? I bet it does. You yeah. finally get to step out front and be the yeah, be the exactly. main guy and yeah. And I mean, I'm not having seen you live. Are your shows? Are they? Do you like tell stories about all the different songs you played on, and maybe play some of those songs too? Or are you just focused on your solo work? No, yeah, I, I, I have done. I mean, I, I sometimes I, I play an acoustic version of Shout uh, by okay. Tears for Fears. I also play. I, I don't know if it, I think it was a hit in the states. It's by by Climby Fisher from Rob Fisher from Naked oh, Eyes. He, uh -huh. he went on to. to Form Climby Fisher. Yep, with Simon love changes Climby. everything. That's right. right. I, I, that's that, that's the song. One of the songs I played on, and I, and I play that live because it suits my voice.
you're burnt out. You, you, you just of don't course. know. Unless you get some input from someone, you're burnt out because you, you run out of ideas. Of I ended up just taking the guitar off and said, look, you know, you can't treat me like this. This is ridiculous. Right. Right. Oh, well, I'm sorry, I really wanted to, you to play on this, and I thought there'd be a guitar part, and I said, well, you got too much on the track, you know, but... Yeah. Yeah, there, there were a few instances like that through the 80s. Interesting, you know. wow. Yeah. Okay, do you have any idea, did you get to know those two guys very well, or where they, no, where I, they I, went I, or anything? No, all, all I remember, one of them was called Marcus. That just yep, there's a Marcus mind. and a Mark. Marcus and Mark, that's it. And yep. at the time, funny enough, they were, they were called Mark and Marcus. They they didn't have the name show. I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I wonder where those guys went. I'd love to find them. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the next one then on the list here is. Do you mind, by the way? Is this bothering you? No. Going not down at all. this list. Okay. Good. Good. No, it's, it's, it's bringing back memories, which is okay. Good. Because this is blowing my mind. I can't believe this. So Morrissey, now you are you're on interesting drug, right? Yeah. Are you? What else have you done with Morrissey? I played on the last of the famous international Playboys. Nice. Um, yes. Lucky Lucky Lisp. Yes. And okay. a song called a song called Michael's Bones. Yes. Okay. Wow. Great. Now, interesting drug. There's some really interesting guitar parts in there. There's basically kind of like an acoustic-y sort of shuffle going on throughout, yeah. and then there's more of like an electric. You know, That's slabs right, yeah. of electric coming in here and there. Are, which one are you, or are you both, or are you uh, something well, I, else? I did, I did all the electrics, I think, and Craig Gannon, another guitar player they used to use with the Smiths, was playing the acoustic. And then, just thinking of my, Michael's Bones here, the first thing I played on when I, I met Morrissey, and also, this was the first time that uh, Mike Joyce and Andy Rourke got together with him since the split of the Smiths. Yes. So, so, so there was lo lots of kind of weirdness going on, you know. I believe it. Now, why did that happen? I mean, I was watching the video for Interesting Drug, and you can barely see Mike and Andy, you know, split seconds in the background. And I just thought, they played on this? Why were, well, I thought everyone hated each other. Why did, the, why did that happen? I think probably, I, I don't know this for sure, but I, I would have probably thought that the, the label said, look, get the two guys back in. So there's yeah. a part of the Smiths and get Neil in, uh, you know, to play guitar. 
Right. And I, I think that's what it was, really. You know, they wow. wanted that flavor of the Smiths. Yeah, and um, Morrissey put up with that, even though he probably can't yeah, handle it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it, I mean it was a ve- it's a very, very strange... It was probably one of the strangest things that I ever did, really, to I be honest it. with you. Because wow. when Nick Gatfield was um, the uh, A&R guy for him at EMI at the time, and uh-huh. um, uh, he, he called me up and said, would you uh, like to play with Morrissey? I said, sure, okay. He said, well, look, you'll be getting uh, a call from the producer. And he just wants to, you know, uh, touch it, touch base with you and ask you a few questions. Okay, so he called me and it's like, okay, it's, what kind of guitar do you play? I said, well, I've got a Fender Strat, I've got this. No, 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 no. He uh-huh. said, are you one of these guys that riffs up and down the neck? I said, listen, I've, I've got two of the Smiths albums. I know what the Smiths are about, you know. <laughs> uh, he said, okay, yeah. all right, all right, great. So he said, what's your record collection? And it's like, oh. Ah. Right, okay. Yeah. I mean, it was a very weird thing to to get, that is weird. to get this to get this session. It was a really weird thing. And he said, wow. "Right, okay, don't whatever you do, you know, don't let Morrissey know that you're a session guitar player because you'll you'll be straight out, you know." Oh, so um, he said, "You can only mention Tears for Fears. They they were the only cool band that he liked, I think." <laughs> so um, yeah. So I mean, you know, it was it, it was a very very strange thing, and I remember. Wow. That, the first night, we were all sat around the table, uh-huh. and we hadn't played together at all. And no one was talking because of this bad, weird vibe going on. And then Morrissey turned to me and said, so what bands have you played with? I said, well, just Tears for Fears, really. You know, uh-huh. the other band. Okay, all right. So what got you into music? He was obviously finding out what I was about. And I thought, sure. at, at this time, I thought, to hell with this. I'm going to tell him. And I, I said... Yeah. Well, it was Mark Bowen and T-Rex, if you must know. And he went, mine too. <laughs> Great. I yeah. was going to say, I would imagine you two would have a lot of common musically. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we got on okay, and we went in the other room listening to T-Rex uh, records Good. and stuff. And then the first thing, the, the first thing I, I ever played on was Michael's Bones. Michael's Bones Lay where he fell Face down on a sports ground He was just somebody's luckless son Oh, but now look what he's done Oh, look what he's done They, uh-huh. they kind of programmed that up, and Craig played some acoustic, and and then they wanted some lead guitar. And basically, okay. they were all in the room, you know, and it, uh-huh. it was like, okay, let's check him out, see if he's any good or not. And, you know, I had to kind of dumb down the kind of style that I played, really, you know. Yeah, yeah. To, to fit in with, with what they were about, you know. Wow. Um, in most cases, is it, in, in a situation like this, is the artist requesting Neil Taylor? Is the artist saying, I love that solo on Tears for Fears, well, I want that guy to come play on my album? Or is it a producer who's saying, I have just the right guy 
that that would make this song even better, and or is it a little bit of both? It's it's, it's a li- it's a little bit of both, really. A li- okay. little bit of both. Okay. Yeah. Interesting, and I'm guessing everybody wants to rule the world became your calling card, right? That became the yeah. thing that everyone knew who you were because of that song. Yeah. I want the guy who did that. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right, I got another one for you. Holly yeah. Johnson's Blast album. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. You're on yeah. that, correct? Yes. Yeah. You know, I love that album. I've owned it for a long time, and I've never thought to look over the credits and who was on it or anything like that. But I noticed when I was getting ready to talk to you that this may sound really nerdy, but Dan Hartman uh, is on there a lot, co-writing some songs. That's the. I mean, he's one of my favorite songwriters of all time, Dan Hartman. If I mean, I assume we're talking about the same guy who did Relight My Fire and all that. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's fun because I was thinking about Dan Hartman on on your last question. Because, oh really? I mean, you know, yeah. Because ba- basically, you know, I I did. I was going to mention it, but I thought you would, may go on to something like this. But Holly Johnson, I I, I got the um, session to do that through a guy called Andy Richards, who, who produced some of the tracks. And then Dan Hartman took over. And then I met Dan Hartman. I played when I played on a track on that album called Atomic City. There's a weird guitar solo at the end and stuff. Mm-hmm. like my playing and and then about a week later he called me and um said oh can you come up to london i have a a session for you i said when is it tomorrow okay great i thought i'd ask who is it tina turner he's like oh my god i I don't want to (laughs) go that was my first reaction oh uh, should i say i can't make it i thought Uh no i got to it you know because it's just that nerve thing you know of course yeah. Okay, so but, it's the T- I noticed Tina Turner. I didn't know that album as well. That's why I didn't ask about it. But yeah. it was the Tina Turner session for Foreign Affair that connected you with Dan Hartman, that connected you to the Holly Johnson Black album. Yeah, that's album. right. And and oh, the, I, I played on. I only played on one one track with Tina, and that and that was the kind of driving guitar part for Steamy Windows.
did you work very closely with Dan? I mean, Dan and Holly, they were both gay. Were they dating or together or anything like that? Is that no, how maybe no, how Dan no, got I, brought in? Okay. No, no, because um, Holly had his boyfriend in the studio the whole the whole time. Okay. And okay. It, it, everything was cool. Okay. And I don't know if Dan was ever, he never really was out as long as he was alive. And then he unfortunately no, died. No, no, that's right. But I mean, back, back yeah. then it was very different to how it is now, yeah. you know. So sad. So yeah, sad. Yeah, very, very sad. He was a lovely guy too. Yeah, I believe it. I love that guy so much. Okay. Well, interesting. Was Holly, what was he like to work with? Because he seems like kind of a diva. Uh, do you know what? I really thought he was going to be when I first met him. He was lovely. He was absolutely Good. lovely, yeah. And I, I'm I'm kind of in contact with him again on Facebook, you know. Yeah. And, um, and he's 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 just a, a sweetheart, really Good. nice. And the first Good. thing he said to me, he said, oh, I love your hair. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's always nice, right? Compliments yeah, and, like and, that. But you know what, though? It, it put me at ease straight away. Sure, you know? sure. I believe it. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. See, I, yeah, I, I've heard more recent interviews with him. I follow him on Facebook, too. So if he posts that he was on the BBC or something, I'll yeah. listen to that interview. And he seems like a very funny, cordial guy now. Yeah. But I always got the impression because he was so, you know, anti-reforming Frankie Goes to Hollywood that maybe he was sort of a diva or whatever. But uh, good. That's good to know. He seems yeah, like, he yeah, sounds I mean, like he's it, a good enough guy. Okay. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he may have been in Frankie Goes to Hollywood. I, I, I don't know. And I was expecting right. him to be a diva, but he, he definitely wasn't, you know. Good. But again, okay. it, it's that 80s thing of the, yeah. the diva intellectual kind of, you sure. know. Thing. Yeah, I believe it. Okay, now i got to ask you about Howard Jones. I love Howard Jones. Now, from what I can tell, you only played the guitar solo on one song called Show Me off of his In the Running album. Is that right? Really, I, I couldn't. You probably tell. don't even know. <laughs> well, no, no, but I, but I do. I do remember going to his house and and playing on his album, and okay. a guy called Ross Cullum was producing. I, I I remember that, and I remember he had a red phone box in his courtyard. I also remember oh, that. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Oh wow! And I, I I played on quite a few tracks. I think, if I, my memory serves me correct, but I don't know huh. what on what got on the album or not. To be honest. Okay. Because I have that album too, and I love it. And I was going okay. through the credits the other night, right, and you saw the only yeah, your name just says guitar solo in just in a song called "Show Me." And it's interesting because 
I would never have pieced these things together beforehand. Yeah. I'm not that smart. But when I heard the solo then, knowing that it was you, it's like, yeah, I recognize this guy's style. I could, yeah, I could yeah. connect a dot from that song to, like, Everybody Wants to Rule the World or some of these other ones. Yeah. So it's, I'm it's, starting it's to pick funny. up on a Neil Taylor style. It's funny. A lot, a lot of people say that they they can hear, they know it's me when when I'm on the radio. Really? I mean, That's you know, which, which is a nice, which is a nice thing, you know. Yeah. And I've, yeah. And I've done a, I've done a few, you know, guitar workshops, and people ask me questions about playing and stuff, and I'm I'm a little bit anti all all of these Berkeley schools of music and stuff because. Right. Everybody comes out sounding absolutely fantastic and knows everything there is to know about their instrument, but there's nothing yeah. left to nothing left to discover, and everybody sounds the same. I mean, it, yeah. it's it, it's about for me, it's about putting my identity on a song. You know I what agree. I mean? You yeah, know, I agree. That, that's what it's all, all all about. But all of those guys, you put them on a song, and you you couldn't tell them apart. Yeah. There's, there's no difference, really, you know. That's true. There's not that many musicians out there that you know who they are as soon as you start hearing the style or the tone or the notes. Yeah. You know, someone like a Mark Knopfler or a Richard Thompson or whatever, you know who those guys are the second you start hearing. Yeah, exactly. But there's yeah. so many faceless guitarists that are good, yeah. but you just they don't differentiate from one another. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So you were basically brought in, Howard brought you in to play on some things. I think that was the only credit i saw on the album i could go back and check now i gotta ask you about another guy who has been a guest on this show and that's martin page oh yeah i do know i i, I saw him only a couple uh three months three four months ago I, I, really I was, in, I was in in la i was playing some uh -huh. shows with a guy called Christopherg, and Love um yep. he, he grabbed me for a day martin um to play on his new album and it was great, great because i hadn't seen him for 15 years or so 15 20 yeah. years it was great to hang out with him, and he had that massive hit in, in radio sure hit. Did. I know that in, in the States with In the House of Stone and Light, which I That's played right. on. And um, the album, I think it was called Shape the Invisible, wasn't it? Was it? Uh, well, the album uh, that came on that, was called in, in the House of Stone. In the Light. House of Stone of Light, yeah. There's a track um, but then I think he put out, and you may have even played on something else of his. Anyway. Yeah, yeah I have. He, uh, I played on a couple of his albums, actually. Yeah. That's what I thought. So he's a fascinating guy. You know this. I mean, I, yeah. the whole point of this podcast, as I said, is to kind of connect dots. Like, you would... People might know in the House of Stone and Light, but they might not know that that's the same guy who co-wrote We Built the City on Rock and Roll or oh, right. These Dreams. Dreams or that he worked with Earth, Wind and Fire or that he had this Q-Feel, that great like synth pop yeah. R&B band from the early yeah. 80s. I, I just love his output. 
So how did you get get connected up with Martin? Well, ba- basically, I'd, I'd just, I came off the road with Cheers for Fears, and Kurt, Kurt and Roland kind of fell out big time. Yeah. Kurt was doing a new album, and so uh-huh. I ended up go- going to L.A. for a few months to work on his new album. Kurt met Martin Page to write some songs with him, and then Kurt said, I, I want my guitar player to, to play on, on the album, and I hadn't mm-hmm. met Martin. So the first time I met Martin mm-hmm. was... The first, well, the first time I ever worked with him was he—he he was producing the tracks that he'd written with Kurt in um, yeah, okay. it was Topanga Canyon. I forget the name yeah. of the studio, a very well-known studio. Anyway, okay. and yeah, I, I played guitar, and then Mar- Martin really, really dug my playing, and Good. he got me to play on his albums, and that, that's, that's how it came about. And then I, I ended up touring with him in in the states back in about '93, I think it was, just okay. after, just when uh, in the House of Stone Light was released. Yeah, that was 94. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I'm going to ask you more about that Kurt Smith solo okay. album at the end, and you'll find yeah. out why. Okay, now there are a couple other credits. Did you play with Jane Weedlin? Yes. Yeah. Now, I, that that credit does not show up in allmusic.com, but it is on your website. Are yeah, you playing yeah. on the Rush Hour song? Yeah, yeah I, I, I played on the, most of the guitar on the album Fur. Really? Yeah. Oh, Rush Hour is still one of the just happiest, bubbliest, greatest singles ever. I think. Yeah. How did yeah, that yeah. happen? I mean, I, it's it, it's it's a great great song. It's a really yes. really good song, and uh, th- there is a funny story to that really. Um, <laughs> well, Steve, Stephen Haig, the, the the connection was because he produced um, the first Climbing Fisher album, half of the first yep. Climbing Fisher album, and he yeah. was producing Jane Weedlin, so he got me in to play on the album. And um, on on Rush Hour, when it came to do the guitar solo, I did the guitar solo in one take. It's not always like that. Right. But there was one wrong note, and it was a semitone sharp, you know. (laughs) And so I said to him, he he said, oh, man, you've got to keep that in. That's great. I said, no, it's wrong. You can't keep Uh that. And Uh so he said, okay, well, I'm going to keep that the way it is, but I'll do it in the mix. So you go and patch it up on another track, and I'll do it in the mix. So... Anyway, I thought, okay, great. About three, four months later, I'm driving along, and I, Jane Weagle, I thought, oh, that's that track I played on. It comes to the solo, and it's right in the middle of the solo, he left the bum note in there.
You do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if you listen to it, now now that I've said that, yes. a, a big bum note. It couldn't have been a worse note, but he kept it in there. I was I love that song and of course I've never I'm not a musician I don't know really especially in a guitar solo who knows what a bum note is sometimes I'm yeah. gonna go in now and re-listen to that that is fascinating so this sparks a question that I had for you and this might be this might be a really weird this is a really naive question but how does one write a guitar solo because they sound to a, to someone who's just listening to a song on the radio it almost sounds like it's being kind of made up on the spot you know. You're in well, like I mean, a, uh, to, a to trance, honest, and this is what comes out. Yeah, gen- is that generally, what it is? generally okay. they are. They are. I mean, all mo- most of my guitars are like you know, Rush Hour. That that was done in one take. Right. Everybody want, wants to rule the world. That was done in two takes. I think they used the first half of the first take and the second half of the second take. I was in the studio, funny enough, with with Dan Hartman, with a, a guy called Paul Young. And oh yeah. We we did uh, we did a cover, which was a big hit in the UK um, by. Um, Oh, what are they called? Don't Dream It's Over. What's that band? Yeah, uh, Crowded uh, House. Crowded That's House. That's my very favorite band of all time. And so yeah. so when it came, that there's a kind of section where they needed a guitar solo. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, it's a very major kind of chord progression. And it's kind of a bit weird to get something interesting over it. So he said, so Dan said to me, well, uh, try something like Eric Clapton would do. And I thought, well, I, I don't know what the bloody old Eric, Eric Clapton does. You know, and then so we're so we're going around the house. It's like, well, do do something like um, do something like Mark Knopfler. So oh god, I mean, it all sounded the same to me. Right, and, and, right. And then after about thirty, forty minutes of trying different guitar solos, he said, "Okay, Neil, stop." He said, "Do what you want to do," and then we got the take. You know, really, yeah. to that but but it was done in one or two takes my my solo you know that's incredible after that you know have there been times when you've written a guitar solo and when i say right i mean you mentioned that you don't necessarily read music so not necessarily like how thought out or planned out or practiced are guitar solos usually have you had to do any like that the only time i really do that is on my own stuff because, oh really yeah yeah i mean i i i, I kind of I could just do a guitar solo and leave it, and because the, the producer, you know, I don't. I'm, I'm my own producer, which is my own uh-huh. worst nightmare, really. Sure, I bet. You know, and um, I've, I've got no producer going. No, leave it. That's that's fine. That's good. Yeah. You know, and so I spend hours doing guitar solos on my own. You know, oh, I, I end up chopping up lots of different bits because I like my playing to be melodic, but I like it to be quirky too. So I yeah. mean, sometimes you get if you join up. Lots of different guitar tracks to make one solo. Mm-hmm. You get something that wouldn't normally kind of be there. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. And well, I like, know, you I like, like that. that. Okay, yeah. well, well let like, me ask you this, though. When you then go play live, I mean, guitar solos become, you know, fans sort of expect, unless you're an Eric Clapton where you're just yeah. going to noodle for 10 minutes, the, the fans expect those guitar solos to sound very similar to what they heard yeah, and I, and on the I'm, album. You know, I mean, like with, with, with Robbie uh, Williams, I mean, I, I played on, you know, a lot, lot of his albums and I did a lot of guitar solos and I always uh, played them every night. Yeah. You know. So these chopped up ones that you piece together from various solos, yeah. you you then have to go back and learn how to play that oh, yeah. in its entirety yeah. so that you can yeah. replicate that live. Right? Yeah, and so, sometimes it takes me a while to figure out what I did, you know. And, I bet. Yeah. Uh, especially, you know, with my own stuff. I mean, I, yeah. I, I sat in my kitchen on many occasions before I'm going out on tour thinking, how the hell did I do that, you know? And. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. It doesn't make sense, the solo, but, yeah, but I, I, I managed imagine. to figure it out in the end, you know. Okay, fascinating. Now, you worked with Johnny Hates Jazz? Yeah, yeah, a few years ago, yeah. I like their debut album a lot. It came out during that time when there was a lot of that kind of blue-eyed soul, alternative British music coming out. Yeah. And then the guy, Clark Datchler, it seems like maybe he kind of became very uh, spiritually enlightened, I guess, and sort of <laughs> went a different path. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. He seems like kind of a trip. But then they put out a new album, I think, last year or the year before. Is That's that right. Yeah, yeah, I played on, on that because um, they, they were in Peter Gabriel's studio in Box, um, which is just down the road from me. I've already worked with Clark maybe about 10 years ago in, in Peter Gabriel's studio when he did a solo thing. And oh, then they asked me back to do the album. What's Clark like? I can't quite get a read on him. I mean, I know you can't, you're not going to talk disparagingly about everybody, anybody, but what's his personality like? Well, he's, I, I, th I think he's very driven. Um, he's, very, he's, okay. he's very serious about his music. And he's quite, quite an in, in intellectual guy in, in, in a very nice way. I mean, he's... He, I, He's a bit quiet as well. Okay. Yeah. It almost seems like he came to the... Back in the 80s, he sort of felt like there was more to life than music, and music was sort of beneath yeah, him, think, and he yeah. wanted to be more spiritually, walk a higher path. Yeah, but I, then, I think... Uh, I don't know. I think he, he, he basically just wanted to be with his family, I think, didn't he? Some, I remember reading yeah. something about it. Okay, okay. I think, I think it was some, something like that. 
And okay. I think he, he ended up moving away and uh, taking a few years out of the music business, I think. Yeah, yeah, it seemed like it. Okay. Yeah. So just a couple more I want to ask you about. Peter Gabriel, now you mentioned the connection with Clark and Peter Gabriel. Is that it, or did you actually tour with Peter or play on something? No, I, I, I played on something just after Peter Gabriel's album, So. He, uh-huh. he was doing an, an extra track for somewhere like uh, somewhere abroad. I, I forget what it was, a, an extra track on the CD or something in a different territory. Okay. I always oh. remember it was, it was called a song called Nicaragua, but I don't think it ever saw the light of day. And I, I, I remember coming home one day and uh, there was an answer phone message. I turned it on and it's, a, it's like, hi, um, is Neil Taylor there, please? Uh, this is Peter Gabriel. I wondered if you could call me back. I'd like you to come and play some guitar for me. And it was like... I kept playing it. That's Peter Gabriel. <laughs> That's Peter Gabriel. <laughs> you know, so I spoke to him and um, I arranged to, to go to his studio. And um, he was such a lovely guy. I mean, every time I, I played on this song, he was there with, a, I think it was a Fender Rhodes and a mic. And he sang and played every time just to get a wow. vibe, you know. Wow, and yeah. It, and we, we did lots on this track over two days. And I, and I remember like lunchtime on the first day, and he said that he was quite a shy guy. And he said, oh, Neil, would you, would you fancy some lunch? And I said, sure. He said, well, let's go up to my house. So went up to his house. I remember I sat in his kitchen and he's over the stove making soup. And I'm thinking, oh, this man. is surreal. I'm sat, I'm sat in Peter Gable's house and he's making me some soup, you know. Um, <laughs> wow. That is a, what a charmed life. You sitting yeah. in Peter Gabriel, I mean, there's a million stories, but you sitting in Peter Gabriel's kitchen while he's yeah. making you lunch. That is yeah, crazy. Yeah. Yeah, it's fantastic. Wow. Okay. So the song you played on is Nicaragua, it sounds like, it but it's only that. out there. Who knows where it is? Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, it, that, that also may have been a working title. I, I, I don't uh, know. Yeah, I've, never, I've never seen it again, you know, okay. or heard it. Uh, I mean. Now, I have a fascination with Trevor Horn. He's one of my very favorite producers of mm-hmm. all time. I love pretty much everything he does. What did you do with Trevor Horn? Well, uh, Trevor Horn produced one of Robbie Williams' albums. I think it was called Reality Reality Killed the Video Star. God gave me the sunshine, then showed me my lifeline. I was told it was all mine, then I got laid on a ley line. What a day, what a day, and your Jesus really died for me. Then Jesus really tried for me. came into rehearsals with Rob and um, we got talking and stuff and Rob was doing a couple of, uh, doing another song or something and I ended up going into the studio with Robbie's band with um, uh, Trevor Horn and so, so I worked with Trevor for a couple of days very laid back guy, nothing like yeah. you, you'd expect, you know huh. 
and he just basically let you do your own thing. And he had like good engineers working for him, and he just come in and go, "Yeah, I like that bit there. Just use that bit." And he, you, you basically play lots, and then they choose the bits that they like, right. which is a good way of working. I like that. Right. You know. And he's he seems you know, and I'm going mostly on those '80s albums that he made with Yes and ABC and yeah. Grace Jones and those kind of things. Just ear candy, you know, yeah. the most intricate beautiful, lush production. So yeah. when you're in there playing, it sounds like he's sort of letting you do whatever it is you want to do, and then exactly. he takes all those pieces back, and yeah. he makes them into what he hears in his mind, and yeah, that's exactly. what comes out. Okay, yeah. fascinating. I just I would love to spend a day with him and just get an idea of what's in his head. Seal, yeah. you know, those great albums that he made. I think yeah, he's great. made some amazing albums. Okay, second to last one, Pete yeah. Byrne. You're on his solo album, The Real Illusion. Right. Yeah. You you've now, really done your homework. I'm <laughs> telling you, Neil, this is this is not homework. I'm as, I'm o I'm only asking you about the music that I know There's a million other things that I yeah. know a little bit about, but yeah. knowing that you were in Neon with Pete, obviously your relationship goes back twenty years before yeah. his solo album. Is that what it was? He called to say, Hey, do you want to come play on my solo album? Well, I, I was over, at the time I played on um, his album, I think I, I wrote one of the tracks for him as well. You're old enough to know better You're old enough to know why I cry I don't want to say goodbye time and I used to meet up with Pete because I was working on Kurt's album and he said hey let's let's do some writing and let's do some playing and stuff and so that's where I end up you know playing on his album okay. it, it came okay. out quite a few years later after I left LA and so I mean I hadn't seen Pete for many many years but I mean I you know we, we've all kept in contact like maybe two or three years a time hi Pete how are you doing you know yeah. but because I was in L.A. recently, I did that uh, thing with Martin Pays. The next day, I, I tracked Pete down. So we basically met up. He, he, he picked me up from the hotel in Marina Del Rey. And then we, you know, it's funny in L.A., you know, he, he, come, he pulls up on, on, on the drive to the hotel. I get in the car. And then he pulls out. And about 100 yards down the road, we go into the restaurant in his car. I thought, what? <laughs> You know, could have walked, right? Could have walked, yeah. But you know, no one walks in LA, do they? No, they don't. Do you know what? I mean, it was such a blast to be with him again, and and we, we had we had a great dinner. We had lots to drink. He left the car, and you know, Good. and, and he, we went over to another bar, and he met all the Christopher band, and we had such a blast, and awesome. it, and it was lovely to see him again. We're hoping to do something together again at some point. 
Oh, that'd be great. I've always loved Naked Eyes. He's now, I don't know if he was always like this, but uh, bless him, he's kind of embraced the Regeneration Rewind Tour 80s circuit, you know? And so I've been lucky to see him a couple of times now because I've gone to those. Yes. And I just love him so much because it's one of those bands that you want, those songs deserve to live on. I mean, Naked Naked Eyes had some great hits and they get lost unless Pete's out there, especially with Rob being gone, unless Pete's out there you know, doing the regeneration thing, keeping that music alive, it, it'll get lost. And yeah. so I'm really glad that he's out there kind of finding his way. That's great. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, you know, also, I mean, there's a lot of resurgence of the 80s stuff live, yeah. you know. Yeah. But who who can blame them? If they can, you know, yeah. go, go back out and kind of relive what, what they did in the 80s, because they probably had a lot of these bands hadn't done anything for like twenty years, yeah, you know. Yeah, and then, I know. And like, to, to, to be able to go back out and make a living at something you did all that time ago—that's yeah. fantastic. And these days, I, you know, it, I feel honoured that I'm still in the game. To be honest with you, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, because no I, it, it's so difficult out there now. Very, very. Especially, difficult. I would imagine for a session musician, because they don't, they, as you were saying, labels don't pay for that stuff anymore. So no, they're not going to no. fly you in and no, pay, no. you know, a couple thousand bucks for one take of something no. that, you know, in the travel and expenses and the cost to you, that no one does that anymore. No, that's no, sad. not at all. That, that, yeah. That's all gone. That's really yeah. all gone, you know. Yeah. One thing that, that I've, I've kind of been doing, because, you know, with, with technology and everything, one good thing about it is I'm, I still do, I can still do sessions, you know, um, on, online. I do a few online sessions now. Oh, enough, good. I did, I did one okay. this morning. And, really? You know, yeah, I mean, you, you you know, they they send you the track and you play on it and they tell you what they want and then you send it back and it just works like that, you know, and and that that's a great way of working. You don't have to go up right. to London, try and find a parking space. You know, right, right. <laughs> you know, it, it, you, you can do it in the comfort of your own home. Yeah. You know? Now, is there money there? I mean, I imagine the money's not as good, but it's some no, it's, label it's not, somewhere. No, it's not as good, but, but, but the, the overheads aren't there, you know, as well. Okay, yeah. So, but, so you, know, you can contribute that way to some artist and get compensated for it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Which, which is good. You know, I keep my hand in in, in that way. I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't like to stop sessions. Period. You know, right, I, I, right. I do, I, but I, I will only do stuff that I think I'm good for. I, won't, I mean, there's there, there's a lot of great players that can do anything and take anything on. You know, but I'm right. not one of those players. Uh, if, okay. if I don't think I can do the job, I'll tell them. Or if I don't want to do it, if it doesn't suit me, I think no, nah, that's not really yeah. me. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I've, I'm, I'm too old to, to like just t- take yeah. anything that, that comes along. You know, I'm, I'm not yeah. one of those people. You, know, you I, have I've that freedom like now. That. That's great. Yeah. Good. I've never okay. been like that though, really, to be honest. Very cool. I want to ask you about that Kurt Smith album, yeah. calling out on Kurt Smith's solo album, Soul on yeah. Board, is. One of uh, I, I know I say this a lot, my all-time favorite or whatever. That is one of my all-time favorite songs of all time. And oh, really? I, didn't, I didn't even piece together until looking over the credits of that album to talk to you that Martin Page had co-written that song. I wish I'd known. I would ask him about it when I talked to him. Do you have any, again, going back to my obsession with Tears for Fears and all things Kurt and Roland, you played on that. Were there any kind of special stories relating to that album that you could tell oh yeah i mean i i, I just remember I, I was in a, la for about i don't know it must have been about th- 
three, four months doing that album. And we did it somewhere down on Santa Monica. And, and I, you know, I, I remember having a great time doing it. We were staying in the Sunset Marquee a lot of the time, which was a nice hotel. <laughs> yeah. And I was kind of living the dream, you know. Yeah, I bet. In L.A., nice hotel, you know. Um, yeah. Nice drinks, nice food. <laughs> okay. Some very, very late you. nights, very late nights, it. early yeah. early mornings, saw the sun come up quite a few times. I'm glad I don't do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So I've noticed when I listen back to that album, and it's up the similar time period when we talked about Peter Gabriel, sort of the production that and, and Sting to some degree, that slightly African... I'm imagining, yeah, yeah. you know, drummers like kind of Manu Cache or whatever his name is. Yeah, I mean, those that, kind of people that pop up in those albums. It seemed like Kurt was sort of going for that sound there. Yeah, I think Mar- Martin had something to do with that kind of African Probably. vibe, a, a lot, lot of it, because he loves all that organic kind of uh, yes. rhythm, all the organic rhythms and stuff, you know. Yeah. I'm just trying to think who else produced it. Oh, Chris Kimsey. Chris Kimsey. Oh, okay. okay. Um, he, he produced the more, more of the rock tracks. Chris Kimsey did one of Rolling Stones albums just before oh, he did Kurt's. Mick Jagger came to the studio to listen oh, to Kurt's album. Really? Yeah. Man, and you we, don't you don't imagine those two's paths crossing no, very often. No, he just but, was but, there but though. The, but the funny thing was that Mick, Mick Jagger said, "Oh, you got to listen to mine because he had his own solo album." So uh-huh. he said to Chris Kimsey, "You got to listen to some of my album first. So we sat there and listened to, I think, 10 of the 12 songs on the album uh, is Mick Jagger's, and he had it up full blast, and he was dancing like Mick does in the studio. <laughs> really? And, and, yeah, and then Chris said, <laughs> he said, right, okay, well, listen to our album now. He said, I can only stay for one track. <laughs> oh, of course, right? <laughs> Stop what you're doing and listen to me, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. when it's time to listen to him, it's like, oh, I, I, can, mean, I, can only, I only have a, have a minute before I have to go. Yeah, yeah. Oh, boy, that's so Mick. All right. When you look back on your career, I mean, you've accomplished so much. Do you have like a favorite moment, whatever that might be, where you nailed a guitar solo or you met Mick Jagger when he came in the room or you played an especially good show or you wrote a new song? What, well, yeah, when you look back, like, what's that best moment that pops up in your memory first? Well, I mean, to, to, to be honest with you, I, after, because, I, I, like I said, I was with Robbie Williams for 10, 10 years at the top mm-hmm. of my uh, career. Sure. You know? And we'd done three nights at Nebworth, 120,000 people a night. Goodness. You know, I mean, I was earning great money, and I, I, I thought it, it, it was never going to end. I then, basically, Rob decided to change me for, for whatever ever reason he did. I, I'm, I'm not, not sure, really, to be honest with you. But oh, he, no. he, decided, he decided to change me, and it was like my whole world collapsed, you know. Yes. And I, I couldn't believe it for many, many months. And I thought, how do I get out of this? But then, I, you know, I... I'd had my first album out, so I picked myself up. And, you know, ever since then, you know, I've done, I've done lots of tours of Germany. I mean, six weeks at a time with, with a tour manager, just me and a tour manager going around with my acoustic guitar and doing lots of small venues, you know. And then just on the, uh, what's it, Christmas Boxing Day on, in two, on 2013, I had uh-huh. someone on Facebook say to me, would you like to come to, to Ukraine, this was before all the, just, well, as the trouble was brewing in Ukraine, would okay. you like to come and play with your band on New Year's Eve in Euromaidan, the, the, the big square where all the trouble was? Wow. And, and I said, well, oh, I'm not quite sure, you know. I, I said, well, if, if you want me to come, I'll come, but I'm going to have to bring my family, you know. And uh-huh, so, uh-huh. 
And then the, the, the two other guys in the band weren't sure because of the trouble. And I said, well, look, if you're not going to go, I'm still going. I'll play on my own. I'll, I'll do acoustic. And they called me back yeah. and said, okay, we'll come. So I was told there was going to be about 50,000 people in this square. And I thought, Fant- this is my own thing doing yeah. doing, doing 50,000 people. Anyway, so uh, we, we got there, put us in a, a lovely hotel. The night of the show, it, it was, uh, we, I went on, um, I think it's 3.30 on the, um, New Year's Day in the morning, 2014, with my band, and there was half a million people there. It was all what? televised live, and, and, I, and I was the only international act. So just um, there, you, you are the, you're the key, you're the focus. Yeah, I mean, half I mean, a million I, I, people. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I mean, you know, I don't know what, how it happened, why it happened. I still don't know to this day why I was kind of headlining this kind of event. I really don't know. No but, um, way. So that has got to be, I mean, you know, with, with Robbie, like I said, we played three yeah. nights at, at Nepworth, and, you know, all the people came to see him. I'm not saying sure. that all the people in the square were there to see me. That 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 That's not true. But right. I played with my own band in front of the half a million people, and I just can't get oh, over that, man. you know. Oh. It's just amazing, you know. That's got to be just mind-blowing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. And, you know, it's all on YouTube as well. You can see it. You know? Oh, good, it's, okay. Because it was televised. I'll look it up. Oh, fascinating. Well, good. Oh, I'm go- I'm so glad. I mean, if there's ever an artist that deserves a successful second act, you're the one. I mean, you contributed. <laughs> I'm serious. You contributed so much to so much good music. Well, and yeah, uh, now you, you're you, out there on your own and you're getting sustained for your own stuff. That's huge. Yeah, I mean, I've to, to be honest, I have a long way to go. But the, the the thing is, like I said earlier, doing my own stuff. I mean, wh- whether it's more successful or not, it doesn't. It does matter, but it doesn't matter too because now I have a, a sense of purpose in life. I'm, I'm I, I, I love doing what I'm doing. I love writing music, playing guitar. And creating, you know, I mean, yeah. that, that, that's what it's all, all about for me, creating. And I, I've, I've, I've turned down quite a few big sessions over the past few years because, I mean, I had my own shows, you know, yeah. and I thought, yeah. well, no, if I, I, I'm trying to get off of this conveyor belt, so I'm, I'm going to stick to what I'm doing. You know, it's been a struggle. Wow. It still yeah. is, but I'm, I'm, I'm loving life. I'm loving it. Good, good. Oh, I'm so glad you deserve it more than anybody. That's so good, Neil. I'm happy oh, thank for you. you. Yeah. Well, it's, it's very nice to talk to you. You too. Thank you so much for doing this. I hope that I didn't bother you by nerding out on all the great music you've done. No, no. I mean, I that, that, that was a really huge. good, you know, I, I really enjoyed that. That was fantastic. There you have it, Neil Taylor. I love that conversation. And I think we had more music in this episode than we have in any of the other episodes. You may have noticed when we were talking in there about his collaboration with Kurt Smith, and I talked about a song called Calling Out that's one of my favorite songs ever. We didn't play it then because I wanted to save it and play it here. So that's what you're listening to here. It's one of my favorite songs ever. I also have to say a humongous thanks to previous guest Phil Spaulding for putting me in contact with Neil. Neil was such a good sport and it took Phil bridging an introduction to make that happen. And so thank you, Phil, so much if you're listening. Also, I was debating whether or not to tell this. I I think I will, but because of the time difference, Neil and I had to do this interview really early in the morning. And so after we were done, I was just floating. I I got back to work 
and I'm floating on air that I just had this amazing conversation with this guy that I really love a lot. And about an hour or two later, it was announced that Prince had died. And I'm sorry to get kind of macabre there, but in a way, it's really cool to me personally because for the rest of my life, those two things, a absolute high and an absolute low, will be intertwined in my mind and in my heart forever. And whenever I think about or Prince's life or death comes up in conversation, I will remember that just prior to that happening, I was on a high note having talked to Neil Taylor. So thank you, Neil, for everything. You're a good man, and I love talking to you. Thank you also to Jan Makevich, Jan the Man, for producing the podcast. He always does such an amazing job. And if anyone is listening, please go into our archives and listen to some other episodes. This is what we do. We try to tell the stories of these great artists that deserve more attention and don't get to tell their stories as often. Hopefully you find some other guests in there that you like. Even if you don't recognize the name, chances are pretty good you'll know some of the songs. Subscribe to it in iTunes or whatever podcatcher you use. That way you can stay in touch. We put out a new episode every Tuesday. If there's somebody you can think of that you would like me to track down, that maybe an artist you love that you haven't heard from for a while, send me a message at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Facebook at The Hustle Podcast. You can send me a message on there. You can like our page and you can stay in contact with us that way. You can find us on Twitter at The Hustle Pod. You can subscribe to the playlist that we keep on YouTube. Just type in The Hustle Podcast Playlist. All right, come back next Tuesday. We got another great episode next Tuesday. I'm really excited about it. It's a guest that is very left of center, but is also very wonderful and very lovable. And I think you're going to be happy with it. We'll talk to you all then.